0: to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base
1: Beauty Creative Agency. Hey everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. This week's episode features Alyssa Sasso. She is a manager of the Environmental Defense Fund, and this episode is in partnership with Clean Beauty Connect. If you missed last week's episode, it featured Leslie Harris. She's a global general manager of SkinCeuticals. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to be here with Alyssa Sasso. She's a manager at the Environmental Defense Fund. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thanks, Judy. Um, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited too. And I'm um, super grateful to the Beauty Connect Summit. So um, you'll be speaking at the all virtual Clean Beauty Connect in June, which is June 28th and 29th. So this episode is in partnership with that um, event group. And we're super excited to have you here. Great. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited for that event. I'm excited to be here today, too. So um, let's go way back in time, Melissa, to your 11-year-old self. And if um, an adult asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you respond with? Um, That's a funny question.
0: Actually, at at 11 years old, I probably would have said marine biologist. Um, So I already had an interest in the environment, but very focused on the ocean. Um, Things changed a bit,
1: obviously, since then. But yeah. Well, um, what inspired you at that young age around um, the environmental sciences?
0: I think um you know i was I was lucky to be able to travel a bit with my parents and my family and I remember snorkeling when I was pretty young, and we saw my dad and I saw some some coral reef fish caught in cages and I remember yeah i I was so young and I remember we we went and and let them out um, and that was sort of a an, an jumping-off point for my dad to teach me a bit about about reefs, and at that point, even then, you know, I think we're starting to see some damage to reefs from climate change. So, I started pretty young. I was I was lucky to be exposed to that sort of environment um, and to have a dad who was interested in in teaching me about it. Um, but yeah, it sort of sparked my interest in what was happening in the world around me.
1: What a catalyst moment! So, um, what were the cages in the ocean for? Honestly, I t- I don't know. I was pretty young. They were they were catching parrotfish, which I'm pretty sure you are
0: not supposed to catch in most reefs. Um
1: yeah. <laughs> wow, that must have been like so such a meaningful moment for you to see that and to help rescue those fish.
0: Yeah, it was. Um and yeah, like I said, I my I just started learning everything I could about reefs with my dad afterwards and we were already talking about, you know, reef die-off and um that interest continued for many, many years afterwards.
1: So um, did that show up for you when you um, decided what to study in college? It did
0: actually. Um, when I was in college, I you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do after I knew I was interested in science um, and I knew I cared about the environment. Um, so I ended up sort of picking a general major in ecology uh, with a study, with a minor in environmental science. Um, and that let me take a lot of different courses, uh, and I was able to continue taking some marine biology courses, which is really interesting to me. I was able to, you know, travel and study, too, um, but that's also when I was exposed to a lot more of environmental science than just the ocean, um, and even then, I, w- I didn't, you know, really have a lot of opportunity to study what I work on today, but that's sort of what sparked my, um, my interest in what's in the world around us and how it can impact us and uh, the environment, including aquatic life.
1: Um, so what was the type of first job you can get after studying um, at school on that topic? Like what, where, where do, where, what are the career options?
0: Yeah, a lot of people go into academia, which I had been thinking about for a bit, you know, pursuing a graduate and potentially PhD degree. Um, at some point I decided I was more interested in, you know, going right into the workforce. Uh, other people, you know, go into consulting, uh, do stuff that's totally unrelated to what we studied. I was really lucky that my university had a program that placed seniors into environmental advocacy organizations because it can be hard coming out of undergrad to find a role in those types of organizations where you're really contributing to the work. Um, And that's sort of why this program at my university existed because it is challenging. Um, And I was really lucky to to get a role through that program um, actually at Environmental Defense Fund. So that was my first role out of of college was at EDF as well.
1: So let's talk about, um, while you're here, because maybe some listeners are like, what does this have to do with beauty? Um, So the Environmental Defense Fund helps companies put safer products into the marketplace. Um, so are you working with beauty brands on a day-to-day basis with that goal in mind?
0: Yeah. So EDF is, you know, our mission's a lot broader than that. We're fairly large international environmental nonprofit. It's been around for over 50 years. Um, and then I'm part of our EDF plus business team, which is the team that works with corporate partners to, uh, pursue environmental, um, solutions to the challenges that, that we face today. And, I specifically do focus on how can we protect consumer health by reducing our exposure to toxic chemicals in in products that we use every day, which of course includes beauty and personal care. Um, I, you know, day to day I do, I work with quite a few retailers, I talk to product manufacturers. Our engagements with companies vary quite a bit, sort of depending on where they are in their journey of, of thinking about, you know, what's in their products. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I am thinking about this every day for, for my job.
1: And, um, are you a beauty junkie? I am.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think probably in college was when I started really branching out. Um, I love to try new products. Uh, I also, in college was when I sort of learned how to deal with my curly hair, which had been a bit of a challenge up until then. Um, so definitely big into hair and makeup products.
1: Um and you know when you were in college were did uh were the ingredients of the products you're using on your mind? was that something that was um relevant to you at the time
0: it actually it was not something I thought about very much um which when I started my work sort of a bit of a um a shock and I panicked, but I wasn't really thinking about it and i think once i once I started working in this field and learning more um it really drove me to be passionate about this because I wasn't thinking about it. Probably most people really, you know, don't have the the time or the interest to to spend as much time, you know, combing through ingredient lists as I do. Um, and that's sort of why I wanted to work in this space is because I, I want, you know, I don't want people to feel like they have to do that to make sure that what they're buying is safe.
1: Right, like I think about um, myself, you know, 15 20 years ago when I for sure wasn't thinking about ingredients I was thinking about it with food but not with beauty yeah that's where I started um yeah. so maybe the yeah, food is the way in to the story but you know even fa- fast forward to today I'm, I'm in this industry I'm reading about this stuff day in day out and I'm confused right I you know I can just imagine how overwhelming this is for the consumer who wants to do better for herself um but it just really doesn't know where to start or what to believe. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, I am still confused sometimes when I'm shopping too. It's not, it's definitely not easy. Um, that's why you know, it's why we do what we do. Definitely don't want people to feel confused, overwhelmed, or worried about what they're buying. Um, but yeah, I totally get it. I also, it was I guess about a decade or so ago that I started really thinking about what's in my products. And I, at the time I was also thinking beyond, I still do, I was thinking beyond beauty into my clothes, my furniture, um, sort of everything, I was, open my mind to, to everything that's in my environment.
1: So when I meet people and they find out that I work in the beauty industry, um almost 100% of the time the first question is which mascara should they buy? <laughs> which is so interesting to me. But um so when people find out that you, you know, are on the front lines of these conversations, what do your new friends ask you? You know, what's what's their first question? That's so funny. I I also always ask
0: people in the industry about mascara. I've not found my favorite product yet. Um yeah, I I get the same questions. What should I buy? What should I avoid? Um, I love talking to people. I mean, my Natalie, our our comms um, support on my team slacks me all the time and asks me about you know certain products that she uses. Um, I love talking through it. I don't, you know, I don't want to I don't tell people buy this, don't buy that. I think there's a lot of personal preference involved in the decisions that we make about what we use every day and why we want to use it. Um, but I try to give as much information as I can about, One, sort of what what I look for, where I shop, um, what to look for when you are shopping to make sure that the ingredients, you know, you're taking a look at the ingredients, if that's something you're interested in. um, And also, uh, you know, what to look for and how the companies communicate about what they're using in their products.
1: Can you offer any advice to friends around greenwashing, right? Because this is like tricky, right? Marketing language.
0: Yeah, greenwashing, I think, can be a big issue in this space. Um, for, for us, we really look to companies who are really clearly explaining, you know, if they're saying their product is clean or safer or natural. I think natural is another term. We see a lot of potential for greenwashing. Are they explaining what that means? Is there, you know, is it a one-sentence one description or is it a pretty detailed description of how they've sort of set their criteria for those terms, how they define it, how they make sure that the products match that criteria. Um, are they, you know, continually thinking about this or is it a, a set and done sort of definition where, you know, they're not going to be updating it? Um, it's definitely a hard, a hard uh, topic to sort of manage as a consumer, as a shopper. Um, but I think there are ways you can sort of look at what, what companies are saying, how much information they're giving you um, to be able to make a, a decision around whether or not to trust
1: that that language. So as a consumer, so now you're putting, I'm asking you to put your consumer hat on. Yeah. As a consumer in this space, do you feel like the the more I guess like oversharing a brand does about the ingredients, where they come from, how they're harvested, whatnot, um, is typically equal to their commitment to this? Like, is there more truth if they're able to share more and provide more detail?
0: I definitely think so. Um, there are, you know, a few things, I think it helps when brands also sort of acknowledge, you know, we're sharing this information because we know it can be confusing. That's, that's one thing I really like to see. Um, I also like to see, you know, there, there are a lot of ingredients that I think we hear about in the news that, they brands do use still for various reasons. Maybe there's not, you know, preservatives are a are hard area to find a safer alternative. So if a brand is still using maybe a preservative that we hear a lot about in the news, if they're explaining like, here's why we're, we're using this ingredient, we understand their concerns, but here's why, you know, we've decided to use it. Um, that's the type of information I also like to look for. Um, I think, you know, it can be overwhelming with, it can be a ton of information out there. It can be really overwhelming, but I, I really look for, is this company sort of sharing their journey as well? Um, are they talking about, you know, some of the changes they've made over the years? Are they talking about things like here's why we still use this ingredient that you might be wondering about? Um, you know, I don't look at every single take me forever to look at every single bit of detail that they put out there on all these ingredients, but I, I do try to see, you know, how much are they sharing and does it feel, um, does it feel like it's authentic to the journey that they're on?
1: You know, I'm thinking about um, like my food journey, right? And it's, it, I mean, sometimes it's really hard to know or it ha- hard to answer the question, is this healthy? Is this not healthy? But, right. um, you know, if it's, been, if it was pulled out of the ground, you know, that's like, a, you know, a, ch- a checkbox, right? It's pulled out of the ground. But I guess with, you know, beauty products, it's almost like the The ingredient list could be as long as it would be on like a frozen food item. It could just be like, you know, dozens and dozens of ingredients that um, their I guess, chemical name is not the name I know of it from the farm name. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it can
0: be really hard because we think about some of these ingredients, right. That you might know about from food, um, but natural ingredients in beauty products aren't always safer. Um, essential oils, for example, you know, a lot of them are coming from those ingredients that are, you know, coming from a farm. Um, but people can have allergies to essential oils if they're used in too high of a concentration. Um, so that is one area that can be really challenging, because even if you do recognize maybe the name on, on the, the package, it, it doesn't always mean that it's safer. Um, and I also think that there is a tendency to, yeah, be, you know, you see this long ingredient list and it can be overwhelming. It could be a bit scary. Um, synthetic ingredients can be safer and more sustainable than natural ingredients. It's, you know, not always the case in other cases, natural ingredients would be safer and more sustainable. Um, that's when I see those really long ingredient lists, what I do is I go to the website cause usually, you know, they have more, they have more, uh, real estate to describe what's in the product than on the packaging in a store. I, I like to look at, are they sharing what they're using these ingredients for? You'll see a lot of companies now share, um, function information for ingredients. I don't think that that should be a, you know, necessarily a turnoff, um, for a shopper in a store. I think it comes back to how much information is the company sharing about those ingredients? Um, I think it can also, you know, sometimes some of these ingredients are just in there because we recognize the name and maybe not because they're actually serving a function. So that's another, yeah, there's there're quite a few trade-offs I think when you're you're looking at these types of products.
1: Um in your career is beauty harder than let's say food or other categories um to I guess rem- um educate on? Yeah, that's a good question.
0: Um there are, in some cases, it's actually a bit easier because we do have, you know, ingredient lists uh, for these products in a way that we don't always have for other products. F- food, we also obviously have ingredient lists. Um, but, you know, to a certain degree, right, the brands have to share the ingredients in their products. Um, and that does help a bit in being able to, I think, then talk to consumers about, about these ingredients. Um, I think, you know... Most people probably think that if it's on the shelf, it is safe or somebody's approved it for use. Um, That's not necessarily true in the US where the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, which oversees beauty and cosmetics products, um, the FDA isn't necessarily saying, okay, this product is good to go to shelf, That that responsibility is on the product manufacturer to make that decision. Um, And so that's, you know, I think, I think that that, Perception is changing a bit, especially in the last few years. There's a lot more information being shared online, a lot more people looking for this information. Um, But that, you know, when I started in my career, that was a a perception that we were sort of tackling and and trying to to educate people about. Um, And then I think the next steps are being able to look at things like, okay, here are the ingredients that that are in products and here's what you can look for. Um, Yeah, so... There are definitely challenges around it. I think greenwashing can be a big challenge uh, in terms of trying to sort of share information with consumers. But there are, I think, a lot of it's a lot. People's understanding and perceptions are shifting, um, and it's making it, I think, a lot easier to to share this information.
1: Right. So if I think about like consumer, um, like they, the consumer knows that ingredients are important she might not know what's safe or like what's safe for her which could be different than what's safe for me right. Um, but I guess if I'm thinking about like furniture right I don't know what's in my furniture there's no ingredient right. list there's no like you know step by step of these are the glues we've used and the chemicals we treated your fabric to so I guess yeah the, the beauty consumer is prime for this conversation because she's always known ingredients are there and she's always known buzzwords right? So we've we've taught her to care about some of these ingredients, but yeah, I don't know what's in my furniture. (laughs) I I guess I should, I should start to care.
0: (laughs) Uh, that's, yes, that's another hard area. I, I, when I first started in this role, I, I panicked a bit and I was like, I need to replace all my furniture, um, which obviously wasn't really realistic. Um, but yeah, there, there are changes you can make with furniture too. Um, i i look for i will let you know in case you are interested i you know when i was buying a new couch for example i looked for furniture that doesn't have flame retardants in it which is at this point now i think companies are sharing that kind of information with with their shoppers
1: well you know you just um express kind of i think the the sentiment that most people have when they want to embark on doing better it just feels so overwhelming like that big sigh of like oh my god where do i start um, and then I think it's almost sometimes starts a shame spiral, unfortunately, right? So how do we, I guess as consumers, but also brands, like get out of a shame spiral or a hiding spiral, right? Like So maybe some friends won't admit what brands they use to their other friends because, you know, they they like their product that has tons of chemicals in it and they don't want to give it up because it gives them the payoff or the impact they want. Um, do you have any advice with regards to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I... I very much relate to those feelings. Um, That's why I'm really careful. I think about when people ask me for, you know, what do you buy? What should I buy? What should I look out for? I'm really careful about saying, don't buy this. Don't buy that. Because it is right there. These are really personal decisions. If, you know, maybe you don't necessarily want to be using this product still, but there's a reason you're using it. Um, For me, for example, I've, I've struggled with acne my whole life and I still use topical acne medication, and some of the ingredients in that—they're not necessarily things that I really want in my products. But the—you know—there's a bit of a trade-off there, and that's a decision I made in terms of I'm going to keep using these these products because there's a reason, um, and I've decided that that is the decision I'm going to make. Um, and I think you know, sort of owning that, and that's—I try to share. I try to share my personal experiences around that as well, because I think it can help the more we talk about, you know, why we make certain decisions, the, the more it can sort of alleviate some of the shame about, about it. But um, I think just for, for us, we share as much information as possible so that people can make decisions and, you know, maybe they continue to make a decision to use, to use a product that has potentially some hazardous ingredients in it. There's a reason probably that they're making that decision, but I want them, you know, I want people to be able to make those decisions with, with as much information as they need. Um, and then I think one of the other pieces of this is I I also want to be careful about, I think when it comes to a lot of thinking about what we can do as individuals, um, in terms of environmental issues, there are things we can do as individuals, but. Really, a lot of these problems are institutional. And so I don't ever want to make any particular person feel like it's their responsibility or it's their fault maybe that they are, you know, using some of these products or maybe aren't being as sustainable as possible. Um, I think that, like, making people feel empowered to make changes in their life is great. And I, I sort of always want to bring in the idea that, like, right, we have an outdated regulatory system that oversees cosmetics in the US and that is not you know an individual problem that is an institutional problem um, and when it comes to brands as well I think they're also operating within the system where you know regulations aren't really set up to support them um, to make safer products and there are things that they can be doing um, there there are places they can be looking for help but, In the same way, I I think just committing to learning as much as they can um, and making changes as they learn, you know, this journey of continuous improvement, which is also in my life, that's sort of how I've approached it. um, Thinking through, you know, I didn't make, I didn't change everything I was using all at once. Um, As I learned, I really set priorities for what changes I wanted to make, but, you know, also made some decisions of I'm going to keep using these products for, particular reason. So yeah, I, I fully understand the the shame spiral that can come out of it. Um, and that's why I do try to share as much as I can about what I do in my own life.
1: So let's talk about how, um, retailers or brands work with you. I'm super curious about this because I didn't even know that this is a thing. So, um, can you just walk us through like simplify um how that how that happens and what you how you can contribute and how they can listen?
0: Yeah, so um our work in this area really started back in two thousand and thirteen um we have a partnership with Walmart that goes back further than that, but we started working with them on um what's called their sustainable chemistry commitment, and that addresses formulated products in their stores, which are things like um, beauty, personal care, um, cleaning products, you know, maybe wipes that are in sort of a liquid. Um, and they were the first major retailer to put out this type of policy. And what they did in that policy was sort of encourage their brands to, you know, share more ingredient information. Um, they highlighted a set of particular ingredients that they wanted to encourage all brands to get out of. Um, and then they also encouraged brands to pursue certifications that can make it easier for a shopper to find these safer products. Um, and so in 2000, you know, that was 2013, after Walmart came out with that policy, we started to see other retailers come out with similar policies. Um, Target, CVS, Amazon, Rated, uh, you know, addressing some of the same products, thinking about some of the same chemicals, sending a lot of the same messages to um, to their suppliers. Um, and so what, you know, what came out of that work, I think, was we really saw that there could be a, a bit of a lever in working with retailers in terms of then, you know, there being a ripple effect across the industry to address ingredients and products Um, And I do want to say, you know, one thing that's really important to EDF is that we don't take money from our corporate partners. Um, They are our partners and our work is funded by individuals and foundations. And that enables us to you know, really be in a partnership um, with with these companies and not necessarily like a advisory or or consulting relationship per se. Um, Yeah, it ensures, I think, credibility to what we're doing, but also what they're working on. Um, and so that was sort of, you know, the start of our work on, on chemicals and not necessarily the start, but the start of our work really with retailers on chemicals and products. And since then, this work has really evolved, you know, after all these retailers put out their own policies, we started seeing things like clean logos and clean labels or clean shops pop up. And I think that those types of shops go hand in hand with the retailer chemical policies in terms of like the policies are addressing all the products in their stores. And then when we think about these clean logos, they're really highlighting the best of the best. Um, And so I think you start to see, you know, it helps to sort of raise the floor for products across the store and and gives like an aspirational goal of, you know, here's what we want our products to look like. Um, So a lot of our work with retailers over the years has been supporting them in developing, implementing these policies, which includes things like looking at data, helping set goals, helping to set priorities. Um, and then when it comes to working with brands, that, that work also uh, varies quite a bit. Um, we've been involved in a lot, of, um, a lot of work where you're bringing together retailers, brands, ingredient manufacturers to try to tackle a, a um, joint problem that they're all dealing with. Um, these are like pre-competitive collaborations. So we, you know, the work with brands really is about, I think, trying to help them understand what these retailer policies are about, you know, and try to improve what they're doing as well. Because, you know, the retailer sets the policy, but ultimately it's the brands who are taking action um, from that policy and they're the ones making the change. So, if we work all along the supply chain um, to make improvements and to make change happen.
1: Um, I love that you're tackling this as a system challenge because right it's not just like one brand has a wipey you know like that there's a whole system of manufacturing and sourcing behind that wipey you know that like the brand has so little to do with yeah um right they're just buying it just like i buy marshmallows in the store right they're buying the chemical that activates the wipeys so um you know, what's, what's so interesting is being able to see progress, right? And this um, the Walmart initiative you mentioned, uh, it sounds like this is all in service to the consumer, which is really the way that, you know, we, we think about marketing these days, right? It's not about like my brand or my retail store. It's about like surveying the consumer. So by um, enacting these policies, you're trying to make it easier for the consumer to navigate the store, right? Navigate what's right for her or him. Um and, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, I guess it's like seven years that this has been underway with them. Um, does it feel like it takes too long or is action happening faster than you thought? You know, because this is a big, this is a big mountain to climb. I'm curious as to know, like, if, you know, from a milestones perspective, um, if it's more challenging or or been easier than you imagined.
0: Yeah, I think um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, when the Walmart policy first came out, Um, Within a few years, we saw saw pretty major improvements in, as I mentioned, they had this set. It's about eight high-priority chemicals. We saw major reductions in those chemicals and products. And I think that that is something we see across the board. There are maybe these, we'll call them like low-hanging fruit chemicals that are you know, top priority to get out of and there are alternatives. It's easy to, not necessarily easy, but it is possible to remove them, replace them, um, find other ingredients to use instead. So I think we see, you know, in the beginning, you sort of go through and there are some quick, easy changes to make. Um, And I think once you get past that point is where we've definitely seen things start to get a bit more challenging because you are, you're tackling maybe ingredients that are in there in, in very small amounts or maybe there aren't um safer alternatives available yet. So I think you sort of see it, every company goes through this journey where maybe there's some stuff that they can do up front and then um, it's an iterative process. You you make those changes, you come back and you say what's next. And I think the more you dig in, you know, the more progress you make, you start get you start getting into places where it is a bit more challenging. Um, I think in in our work, in my work what's what's exciting is that Right, we've been working with Walmart for a long time, but we, you know, started working with Sephora a few years ago on their chemicals policy, and so um, we're sort of able to start back at that place of like, let's set our priorities. You know, maybe some of the first things they're going to do are uh, easy changes to make, and then we'll start thinking about what's next. What are what are where are you really gonna need to dig in and figure out what you want to do here, um, and that's also why some of the pre collaborative work that we do is. Is exciting because, right? You, all of these companies at some point are going to end up with some of the same challenges, and there that's going to be hard to make progress there. I think unless you have retailers, brands, ingredient man- manufacturers all talking about about what's happening there. Um, so it definitely does you know it can get it can get harder the the more progress you make. Um, I like working with a lot of different companies because. I come in at different places in their journey. And so sometimes, you know, we're making those early stages of setting priorities and and making changes that are a bit easier to do. And then with other brands, we're really thinking about, you know, now you're dealing with the hard stuff. What do you do next?
1: Um, You know, we spent this whole time talking about, um, you know, goop and juice ingredients, but um, does EDF tackle packaging and um, materials waste as well? We definitely, so... We think about packaging also actually
0: in terms of ingredients in packaging. Um, I think we're exploring what, you know, in terms of waste, what what our role could be there, but the work that we do on packaging now is really around similar to what's actually in the product. What's in the packaging that you're using because that can be another place where we are exposed to hazardous ingredients. Um, A lot of our work in packaging right now is focused actually on food packaging. Um where you know I think you could clearly see the ingredients from food from packaging end up in food that's a that's a problem. Um, and when we think about you know clean beauty to us, it does also include what's in your packaging. Um, yeah, and that's a that's a really hard area to tackle. I think that's why you know we've seen the conversation shift there more recently because that is sort of one of those areas where or maybe you've made some of the early changes in your journey, packaging is going to be a bit harder because it's just not as easy for brands or retailers to know what's in the packaging that they're using. Um, yeah, so I think the more conversation we have in that space, you know, we'll start we'll start on the journey to getting more transparency into what's in our packaging.
1: And Alyssa, um, you know, with the few minutes we have remaining, um, can you tell us how... Brands can um have access to some of the published reports that you put out because you do share a lot of this with the industry, right?
0: Yes, we do. We um one of the things we really like to do is to take our what we learn from our work with companies and turn it into reports, best practices, blogs, um, so that we can share it more broadly than you know necessarily with the brands that we have time to meet with. Um, you can find us on Twitter at ENV Defense Fund. Um, we have a website as well, business.edf.org is where you can find my work in particular, um, as well as the Supply Chain Solutions Center, which website that website is supplychain.edf.org, um, and so that's another place where we put a lot of our, you know, safer chemicals resources and
1: information. Well, Alyssa, I'm excited to keep tracking the progress that you're making in the industry. And I'm so grateful to know you and know of EDF now. Um, And, you know, big thanks to the Clean Beauty Connect for connecting us together. um, Yes. I I love knowing this and I love knowing there's resources and people working hard. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Um, Thank you for your time and for having me on. I'm I'm really excited um,
0: that we had this conversation.
1: And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Alyssa. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.